0: Our second reading today comes to us from the fourth chapter of Jonah, verses 1 through 11. But this was very displeasing to Jonah, and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is this not what I said while I was still in my own country? This is why I fled to Tarshish at the beginning. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, And ready to relent from punishing. And now, O Lord, please take my life from me. For it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, Is it right for you to be angry? Then Jonah went out of the city and sat down east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade, waiting to see what would become of the city. The Lord God appointed a bush and made it come up over Jonah to give shade over his head and to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was very happy under the bush. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the bush so that it withered. When the sun rose, God propelled a sultry east wind. And the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And asked that he might die. He said, it is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the bush? And he said, yes, angry enough to die. Then the Lord said, you are concerned about the bush. For which you did not labor and which you did not grow. It came into being in the night and perished in a night. And should I not be concerned about Nineveh? that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also many animals. This ends the reading of God's holy word. May God add many blessings to the hearing of it. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Let us pray. Gracious and loving God, We've come into your house and gathered in your name to worship you. Enable us to hear your call in our lives. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts here together be found pleasing and acceptable in your sight. Our Lord, our Rock, our Redeemer. Amen. Before I went to seminary, I met with a pastor of the church that I grew up in. We went out to lunch and we talked about some of the challenges and the issues that would be facing me in the coming years. And he gave me some advice. And one piece of advice he gave me was that find a biblical character which you can relate to. He said, because you are going to be asked to tell your call story time and again. And it really helps to root it in someone from the Bible. And my mind immediately went to Jonah. To Jonah, the reluctant prophet. I first heard the call to ministry in high school, and I ran far away from it as I could. I went off to college and abandoned my faith, switched around my priorities, and wanted nothing to do with God or with Christ. Many years later, I returned to the church. I discovered my love of God and my love of Christ again. So I related so much to Jonah who heard the call to go to Nineveh and to preach repentance. Forty days and Nineveh will be no more. And Jonah didn't want to go. Instead, he went right down to the shipyards, got on a boat, and went right to tar, or set sail for Tarshish, which people believe was somewhere in Spain. He was going the opposite direction of where God wanted him to go. He wanted nothing to do with what God asked of him. And then a storm came and tossed the boat to and fro. And he realized it was God's anger at him. And he was thrown overboard and ended up in the belly of a fish for three days. After this, he was spit upon the shore. And this is the story that most of us know. This is the story that we lift up, that we tell in vacation Bible school and art and music camp and Wednesday night programs. It's the story we have picture Bibles about. But the story goes on to be so much more. After Jonah is spit on the shore, God speaks to him again and says, Jonah, go to Nineveh. And what else is he going to do? He tried to run, and the storm found him. He spent three days in the belly of a fish and didn't die. He knew that there was no escaping God's call in our life. So he went to Nineveh. And Nineveh was a huge city. It was a 3 days walk across. There were 120,000 people, countless animals. And he put on his big boy pants and went into Nineveh and started proclaiming 40 days and Nineveh will be no more. And something amazing happened. The people heard. The people listened. Word got to the king. The king took off his robes. He put on sackcloth. He put on ash. He proclaimed that the people should fast and repent. And the people did. And God saw this, and God's anger and God's wrath was turned away. And Jonah was cheerful and joyful because his mission had been a success. This is how we think it should go, but instead Jonah was so upset. He said, kill me, Lord, it's better that I die than to live. I knew what was going to happen, that's why I didn't want to go. I knew that you are a God slow to anger, a God quick to repent of your wrath. That's why I didn't want to go, because these people should have been destroyed. And so now I want you to die. And God said, Jonah, you're being silly. So Jonah went on the hill east of the city to watch what would happen to this city. And it was very hot and it was a warm day and the sun was shining down. So God made a branch grow over Jonah And it shielded him from the sun and it provided him comfort. And he was happy. The next morning, God sent a worm who ate at the branch until it died. And Jonah, once again, threw a temper tantrum. God, kill me now. It's better that I die than to live. And God looked at Jonah and said, why are you upset over this branch? You didn't build it. You didn't grow it. It grew in one night. It was destroyed in one night. You're upset over that, but you can't understand why I'm upset over all these great people of Nineveh? And that's how the story ends. Jonah's only mentioned one other time in the scriptures, and it's a very brief mention about him prophesying to one king. And so we're left with this small story that's so packed with stuff. This could easily be a story about a reluctant prophet. A prophet that hears God's call in his life and disobeys and goes as far away as he can. And when he finally accepts God's call, Scripture tells us that Nineveh was three days wide, a three days walk. And Scripture also tells us that Jonah walked for one day. He didn't even make it to the city center. He just went far enough to say, yep, I was here. I got my t-shirt. I'm done. Thanks, God. And then he's upset when the people are spared. So it could be a story about a reluctant prophet, someone that doesn't want to do God's work, but God's work is done anyway. It could be a reminder to the church that we don't save people. That we can't save the unchurched. The people out there. After all, Jonah didn't save the Ninevites. Jonah brought the word that brought their salvation. But he did not save them. Only God can save them. And we can't save the unchurched. Only God can save them. But that doesn't mean we can't bring God's truth and God's word. But I think above all, this is a story about God's grace. And about the amazing and wonderful ways... In which God's grace works. Throughout the history of Christianity. And definitely since the Reformation. People have argued over if we are saved through God's grace. Or through our own works. Can we save ourselves by being good enough? By being worthy enough? And I think if I asked every one of you that question. You would say no it's only through God's grace that we are saved. And I think we believe that in our heads, but in our hearts, sometimes we wonder and we struggle and we want to think otherwise. Last week, I was at a pastor's retreat and we have all sorts of different conversations and sessions at this retreat each year. And we talk lofty conversations, quoting theologians and different ideas. And then sometimes we bring it down to the basest level. And we're talking about God. Uh, God's grace and works and this debate and somehow we ended up on the topic of Charlie and the Chocolate Factory and with that was used as an example of works versus grace because if you remember the movie with Gene Wilder which is the definitive version of Charlie and the Chocolate Factory as everybody knows it's about four kids that get a golden ticket to go to the, Charlie, the chocolate factory that's run by Willy Wonka And he takes them on this tour and one by one they fall prey to their vices. Augustus Galoob can't help but drink out of the chocolate stream and he falls in and gets stuck in a pipe. Violet can't help but grab something because she wants it now and she has to have it even though it's experimental and she turns into a giant blueberry Mike TV is so obsessed with television that he sees a device that puts things on television and he doesn't realize they'll shrink him down to the size of a TV. And then there's Charlie left. And he took a drink of something that that made him float and made him gassy. And he thought he got away with it, but at the end of the tour, Willy Wonka calls him on it. and says because of that, he won't get a lifetime supply of chocolate, he won't get the chocolate factory. And Charlie's dejected. And then he remembers the everlasting gobstopper he has in his pocket, and he realizes that he's unworthy of it, so he places it on Willy Wonka's desk. And he starts to leave. And Willy Wonka realizes that very act made him worthy, and he gives him his entire chocolate factory, this wonderful concoction of sugar that he just toured. And we talked about what happened there. What made Willy Wonka change his mind? Was that chocolate factory an act, a gift of grace? Or was it because Charlie gave in that gobstopper? And we debated it back and forth. And we saw that when you put it in everyday, well, not everyday terms, because it's a magical chocolate factory, but give it in uh, <laughs> earthly terms, it's much harder to reconcile and harder to understand. And I think we like, the idea of grace as long as we put limitations on it. I think we like the idea of grace as long as you're only kind of bad. It's only certain sins that will qualify you for grace. And surprisingly, those sins look a lot like the sins we have. One question that I've had several people ask me through the ministries. Chris, what about that uh, person on death row for killing people that repents at the last minute and finds Jesus just before he's executed? Does he go to heaven? And at that root of the question is, why? Why does he get grace when he's done such terrible things? We like the idea of grace for people that look like us, who act like us, who are bad in the ways that we are bad. But when you talk about the drug dealers, the drunk drivers that kill children, the terrorists, we don't want grace for them. They're really bad. We're just kind of bad. And it's understandable that God would forgive those that are kind of bad. And I think that's why Jonah is so upset when Nineveh is saved. Nineveh was the capital of the Assyrian Empire. A hundred years after this, Assyria would invade Israel. It would completely wipe the northern kingdom off the map and it would conquer and enslave the southern kingdom. These were the bad guys. These were the ones that were an existential threat to the Jewish people. It would be like a Jewish person having to go to Nazi Germany and preach repentance. Repentance. Or an African-American going to the Klan and preaching repentance. These are the baddest of the bad to the Jewish people. And here they repent and God smiles upon them. And Jonah struggles with that. And I'm guessing if it happened today, we would struggle with that. If we knew with certainty that the person that shot up the theater In Denver, Colorado a few years ago. Went to heaven. Or would go to heaven. We would have a hard time. Even if we knew he repented and he turned to God. Because he had committed such atrocities. If we found out that Hitler was in heaven. We would struggle with that. Because he committed genocide. I told you that Tarshish was in modern-day Spain. But I didn't tell you where modern Nineveh is. It's in Mosul, Syria. And what if we found out Assad or some key leaders of ISIS had repented and turned to Christ? How would we feel about that? Would we be joyful Or would we still want them to pay for the atrocities which they have committed against other people? If God's grace is truly something that can't be earned, something that's given freely, then it doesn't matter what the sin is. It's God's choice. It's God who saves us. And the biblical definition of sin is anything that separates us from God. So therefore, a small sin such as gossiping or um, anything else we might be guilty of, gluttony, or a big sin like genocide or rape, either way, the result is the same. We are separated from God. And it's God's grace and God's love through Christ that brings us back together. The Bible says all sin is the same. And for a long time I struggled with that. Because telling a white lie and killing someone, there is no way it's the same. And those are sins against humanity and they are not equal. But in that they could cause division between us and God, they are the same. And it's through God that that sin is healed. It's through God's grace And as Jonah sees and as we see, it works in many different ways. And we cannot put limits on it. We cannot try to understand it. We can say they don't deserve God's grace, but we do. And we're lying to ourselves. There's nothing we can do to be worthy of God's grace. There's nothing that uh, the Ninevites could do to be worthy of God's grace. There's nothing that Jonah could do to be worthy of God's grace. But it's given still. And this should give us hope and give us comfort. It gives us hope because it tells us that nobody is beyond redemption. That the word of God, the truth of God, the love of God can reach all people. But you give us peace that we know that if we ever slip from being kind of bad to being really bad. God still loves us. God is still there for us, waiting for us to repent of our sins. Ready to turn back to God. Ready to wrap God's arms around us. And love us. And friends, that is what this story is all about. This is about how God's grace is so much bigger than the box we try to put it in. That God's grace is so expansive that we cannot begin to understand it. But that God's grace is there for the Ninevites, for the really bad people, for the kind of bad people, for the people out there, for the people in here. Through the love of Christ God's grace is available for all. Amen.